thank you for today and just thank you for a day that you have made, a day that we can praise you, a day that we can, can learn, that we can hear you, Lord. And God, I do ask that you would speak to us, Father, that you would open our hearts, open our minds, our ears, Lord, to be able to listen, to hear what you would have to say. Holy Spirit, uh, do a new work here, this service. Speak, Lord. Speak from your word. Speak from your servant, Lord. Let us hear today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Are you satisfied with your life? Would you say that you are fulfilled, lacking in nothing, you're not left wanting? Or do you have these unmet needs, desires, wants, something seems to be missing, maybe? Do you have greater expectations in life? If I just had this, then I think everything would be okay. I'd probably be completely satisfied. Or if I didn't have this, perhaps, then I would be satisfied. Then I would be complete. What does the world say brings our satisfaction, our completeness? Our culture here in the United States screams wealth, power, pleasure, fame, and beauty. These things, any one of these things, or if you could get all of them, all the better. These things are what bring a satisfied, happy life. A life that's complete. Well, is it really wealth? Jay Gould, the multimillionaire, said this. I am the most miserable man on the face of the earth. When someone asked billionaire John D. Rockefeller how much money it took to make him completely happy, he just re- or he replied, just a little bit more. Could power be the answer? Well, Alexander the Great, who conquered the entire known world in his day, after he had done so, he wept bitterly in his tent and said this, there are no more worlds to conquer. Maybe it's pleasure. Lord Byron lived a life of pleasure if anyone did. And toward the end of his life, he testified, life is but a tragedy. Well, how about fame? I'll give you a couple of quotes from one of the most famous singer and songwriter the world has ever produced. Elvis Presley said this, image is one thing and a human being is another. It's very hard to live up to an image. He also said, a person's eyes tell you more than their words. I'm sort of getting tired of being Elvis Presley. Elvis died of what is, to believe, what is believed to be a drug overdose on a bathroom floor in Graceland. August 1977, he was just 42. Well, maybe it's beauty. Here's a quote. She was a good girl who knew how to be happy even when she was sad. And that's important, you know. That's what the actress Marilyn Monroe said about herself. She later died of a drug overdose, August 1962, at age 36. 
the most powerful, wealthy, intelligent man ever to walk the face of the earth that was born of man said this, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. Those are the words of King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. So these places of worldly honor and reputation have left people wanting and unsatisfied all throughout history. So maybe our satisfaction, maybe our completeness, maybe our fulfillment in life comes from a smaller package, from something maybe a little bit less arrogant, maybe something a little bit more attainable. Maybe just in a companion, a husband or wife, a boyfriend or girlfriend, kids, some kind of a companion, a new companion maybe. If I could just have a new companion, then everything would finally be okay. Some have thought sex, drugs, a new career, a new home. It doesn't have to be big, just just a home. I just need a home or a bank account. Just some money at the end of the month. Or some simply just say, if my health was good, then I'd be okay. I'd be satisfied if I could just have my health. Others have claimed reputation is everything. A new car, toys, things. Some just want a new start in life. If I could just leave, if I could just go somewhere, I'm sure this would bring me satisfaction or completion. The problem is with all of these things, we can see that if we place our hope in these things bringing us satisfaction or completion of any kind, They're going to leave us fleeting because none of these things last. At best, it's momentary pleasure, momentary joy. They will never fulfill us. We know that. Relationships fracture and break. And maybe it's a good relationship, but people do die. Well, we've learned not to put our hope into a bank account, haven't we? Or into a career. We don't have control over that. Sex and drugs and rock and roll have just left people empty. So all of these things, if these things won't last, if these things won't bring me any joy or peace or comfort for any length of time, then what will? How can I be satisfied? Or better yet, can I be satisfied? Well, here's what the world says today. Everywhere in the world says this. Here's the one thing that can make you whole, that can make you complete, that can satisfy you and all that you're after. Happiness. If I can just be happy, then everything will be okay. If I can just be happy. Dr. Robert Holden, he's a British psychologist. He's an author and a broadcaster. He works in the field of positive psychology and well-being, and he's considered to be Britain's foremost expert on happiness. He wrote an article, and you can find it on the front page website of Oprah Winfrey. 
And here's what he said. Happiness is life's most cherished goal on every continent, in every country, and in every culture. When people are asked, what do you want? The most popular answer is happiness. When parents are asked, what do you most want for your children? The answer, happiness. Happiness is the goal that makes other life goals, such as success, prosperity, and relationships, feel meaningful and enjoyable, end quote. Okay, so I can agree with the overall theme of what he's said here. Every human heart longs to be happy. This is what we're after, happiness. So where does it come from? Can we really be satisfied in happiness? How was it developed? Well, Dr. Holden goes on to say this. He explains happiness this way. Happiness is your original nature. He also says true happiness is being faithful to your true nature. I've read quite a bit of what he wrote in different articles. And here's what he basically says, that happiness is found inside you. Don't look for happiness in any external source. You'll never find it. It's in you. It's in you. Everybody's happy. You just have to find it. Trust yourself. You're happy. It's in you. Well, is he right? Aristotle seems to kind of agree, or maybe he agreed with Aristotle, the famous Greek philosopher 300 years before Christ. Here's what he said. Happiness depends upon ourself. Or here's another quote. Our greatest happiness does not depend on the condition of life in which chance has placed us, but it is always the result of a good conscience, good health, occupation, and freedom in all pursuits. That was Thomas Jefferson, our third president. Another quote, happiness lies in the joy of achievement and the thrill of creative effort. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, our 32nd president, said that. And yet another quote, happiness consists more in the small convenience of the pleasures that occur every day than in the great pieces of good fortune that happen but seldom to a man in the course of his life. That was the famous philosopher and scientist of the 1700s, Benjamin Franklin. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about happiness, about being satisfied, about being complete? Well, Psalm 1 says this. Blessed, or literally, literally translated happy, is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So the writer here said, happy is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, in the word of God. And John and the apostle said, the word of God is Jesus Christ. The word of God is a man, Jesus Christ.
We go, okay, I'm in church. I expect to hear that answer. Jesus Christ is the answer. He's always the answer to everything. How does this work? How does Jesus really satisfy me? How am I made complete? How can I be a happy individual? You see, as a Christian, I understand that Jesus Christ died on a cross, thus producing my hope in him for salvation. I am so thankful for that. And I understand one day he's coming back, the resurrection of all the saints. I'm thankful for that, and I'm thankful for that. But what about today? What about right now? What can Jesus do for me right now? How can he fulfill me in this life? How can I be happy? Paul says in Philippians 4.13, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content, be satisfied. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ. Christ who strengthens me. So Paul says, I've learned in every situation how to be content. It's Jesus Christ's strength. It's the strength, strength of him. Okay, good. How does this strength work? How do I get some of this strength? How can I face life's challenges? How can I be happy all the time? Can I be happy all the time? Can I have this complete joyful personality? What is it? What, what's going on with this? Let's turn to James 1. James chapter 1. And in short order, we're going to see that James has an answer for us. How we can be made complete, how we can be made into a person that is lacking nothing or wanting nothing, a person that is happy, a person that is satisfied. Verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, incomplete, lacking in nothing." So first off, we need to see in verse 1 that he's talking to 12 Jewish Christian tribes. Okay, very important because it's, he's going to be speaking of a faith in verse 3. And it's very important that we understand this is a faith in Jesus Christ, not in something else, not in someone else. It's in Jesus Christ. Okay? So looking at verse 2, James says... Here's how you become that complete, full, happy person through trials. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That's not what I typically do when a trial comes at me. I remember growing up in church, seeing these verses, and I thought, this is rubbish. This is garbage. I can't be that guy. I hate trials. I don't like difficulty. None of it. I don't like it. I don't know why I got to do this. I got to do this, right? I'm supposed to do it. What, what's going on? 
What are some of our reactions when trials come our way? We run. Maybe we fight. Complain. Worry. Just get really, really anxious. And pretty much all the time, maybe, maybe not all the time, maybe most of the time, even as Christians, I, pray, I bet we pray that they would just leave, that God would take this from me. But James says, count them all joy. Why? Is he some kind of a masochist? I mean, does he just love pain? Does he love torment and misery? Who is this James? Well, remember, what we're after is that complete, that full person that's content, that's satisfied, that's happy. That's what we're after. And James says, here's the route. Here's how you're going to get there. It's going to start with trials. Why? Why is that? How does this work? Well, we see here in verse 2 that, Count it all joys, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So we see we're we're able to make that connection that these trials test my faith. Trials test my faith. So what James is saying, in order for you, for your faith to increase, in order for you to be a complete, fulfilled man, lacking in nothing, you must go through trials. And these trials test your faith. So he's saying, in order for you to be complete, your faith needs to be tested. Your faith needs to be challenged. And you guys know that that's true of anything. Whatever you want to to believe in, whatever this thing that you have, whatever it is that that claims to be able to do this, how do we know that we can believe that? It needs to be tested, right? So, So the rock climber is literally putting his life in his gear. I was talking to Monty after first service. He said he's looked down the cliff 1,300 feet below. You think he just threw any old gear on? I mean, you don't go buy your gear at, at Walmart or Bymart. You don't get rinky with your gear. You look for the best. You, you study it. You look online. Who's got the best stuff? And then you grab it. Then you feel it. And you pull it. And then you maybe you take little jumps, right, and test it. You need to know in that time of difficult or whatever, even if it's not a difficult time, you need to know whatever it says it can produce, that it produces that. That develops your faith. That develops your trust in that object. Well, remember Jesus' claim in Psalm? Blessed is that man who puts everything on me. Rolls all the dice on Jesus Christ. Blessed is that man. That's what this Bible says. So that's the claim. So that's what our faith has. That's the foundation. That putting everything on Jesus is going to produce that. So when that gets tested, our faith, it says here in verse 3, that will produce a steadfastness. What's steadfastness? Well, I looked it up and it says it's a loyalty in the face of trouble. Not swerving, standing still. 
That's what this steadfastness is talking about. Well, how does it do that? Well, when your faith by a trial gets tested, and whatever that thing is, we're going back to the thing again, and, and, it, and it's, it's been tested, and it's proven to take care of you in the way that it said it was going to take care of you. It's proven to provide the service that it said it was going to provide. Over and over again, that develops a loyalty to that. So in Jesus... When I go through difficulty, and he proves to be there for me every single time, time and time again, it produces a steadfastness or a loyalty in me to him. Not because I'm good, not because I'm some kind of a great loyal person, but because I see in the time of help, he's my help. In the time of danger or trouble, he's my help. Every single time, it produces a steadfastness in me. Let me give you an illustration. When I was probably eight or ten years old, uh, my family, uh, we, we always camped and, and um, went on a camping trip, brought some other family members with us, not too far out of town here actually, and um, everybody's doing stuff during the middle of the day. I decided to go hiking and climbing. I always like to do that kind of stuff. So I went, you know, kind of back behind the camp, high up on the mountain, and I started coming down making my final descent, get back down to camp or whatever. And there's a creek below. And as I came down the mountain, it got steeper and steeper and steeper. And, and finally I came to a place that it's like, there, there's a basically a sheer cliff here. And granted, it's only like 10 or 15 feet. But to an 8 or 10-year-old, it seemed like a matter of life or death. And there was the creek below. So I tried to back myself out of it, and I just kept slipping. And I get closer, and so... You can imagine, panic sets in, and I'm freaked out. I'm in a time of major peril here. I need help. So what do I do? I cry out. I scream out. I, you know, I need help, whatever it was I said. And my Uncle John comes running. I can't see the camp. I can't see anybody else, but my Uncle John comes running. And he gets down there, and he's standing in the middle of the creek, and he looks up at me, and he says, okay, jump. Jump. You can trust me. So I look down at my Uncle John, and I can remember thinking, I wish you were my dad. You see, because my dad's always been there for me. Every difficulty that I've ever gone through, he's been there. Now, see, my Uncle John isn't smaller than my dad. He was probably even actually bigger than my dad. I knew that he loved me, but I hadn't seen it in action. Everything I went through, my dad was there. Even if he couldn't fix it, he was there. That's what this is talking about. A loyalty. When you start to understand that God is always there in these difficult times, it produces a loyalty to Him. So when our faith is tested, we have a choice to stay put, to trust God, to not be moved, even if we can't see out, 
no matter what kind of difficulty it is, we can trust God or we can run. We can try to fix this hurt or this problem with something or someone else. We have a choice. Polycarp said this. Well, Polycarp is a disciple of John, of the Apostle John. Uh, Polycarp was a pastor of the Church of Smyrna, the book or, or the, uh, in Revelations, one of the churches spoken of that actually predicted you're going to face persecution. It's coming against you. And Polycarp said this when he was faced with the choice of renouncing God to live. He said these words, 86 years I have served him and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? And he was burned at the stake alive. You guys, just getting ready for this. I'd known for quite some time that Rory was going to be gone and that I was going to have the privilege of getting up here and teaching. And uh, Chad was going to do one week and I was going to do another week and we were going to kind of do some cool, you know, tandem thing that took a couple weeks. And so we prayed about that and we looked into things and we thought the Lord was leading us in a direction and, and he, he uh, shared last week. And so I've been praying over and knowing that this was, you know, we're going to continue on with First John and and and. and he talked about fellowship, and, and I kind of assumed that, okay, we're going to get in unity and just show the unity of this body and how this works. And, you know, in Ephesians, the unity there, and in First John, this fellowship that we have. It's like great, powerful stuff. And I don't like to have short notice to prepare, but the last time that I had to teach, I only had a day to prepare, and I was really freaked out about that. And I just prayed, Lord, just, just help me. I don't, you know, this is all you. It's always, always you. I know that I get that, but I am a mess right now. I don't want to stand up there and just fall over and have nothing to say, right? That was last time. And so this time I took off Friday. So now I got two days now. I'm thinking I'm getting, you know, I don't do this a lot, but I'm, I'm getting where I can, you know, get something prepared. I, you know, I, I can do this. So Friday comes and, you know, I'm thankful. All right, this is, this is good. And Start in and start looking at this stuff, been praying about it, get the pencil out to start writing some stuff down. And um, just struggling. Just struggling. Okay, Lord, you know, just, okay, all right, all right, I'm good. You know, got two days. Okay, help me here, you know. Show up, Holy Spirit. All right, you always do it. This is good. And the day keeps going. It's like, okay, God, it's 11 now. You see, it's 11. We got a day. We got, okay, all right, we got a day and a half. It just keeps going on. And I just, just like building inside of me. This anxiety, and it, and it starts turning into some fear, and, and it's like, Lord, come on. So in my mind, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, uh, I, I know, I, I'm going to call up Chad and tell him I'm sick. Now, now it's on you, Chad. It's like, oh, man, that's probably not a good thing to be thinking about, lying like that. No, all right. So then, so then I actually thought, well, maybe I'm going to get up here, and, and I'm going to say nothing. I don't, I don't have anything to say. I thought, how could you want that for your church, God? But you know what? I prayed. It's like, Lord, if that's what you have, I want to be good with that. Whatever you want to do, I want to be good with that. And if you want to humiliate me in front of all those people, 
oh God, please bring me something to say. You know? <laughs> so seven o'clock rolls around, 7.30, something like that. And um, I'm anxious. And uh, I get a call from Lee. A lot of you know who Lee is. And, but before, actually, before I got the call, I opened up to James. And I read a little bit in Philippians and I read some Psalms and I put some music on. I was like, okay, Lord, you know, help. But I hadn't intended on doing James. I hadn't even thought of it. I hadn't even crossed my mind. But I turned to James because there's some comfort in that for me. Seeing that these difficulties in life produce a steadfastness, a loyalty to him. And I go, yeah, I've faced these before, not just in teaching, but in life. When I see you show up, I believe. And I know you're going to show up. I don't know what you're going to do, what you're going to say, but I believe. And I just get it open, and Lee calls. And I asked him if I could share this, and he said, sure. And he gets on the phone, he says, bro, I'm anxious. I'm struggling right now. He's got a new adventure coming up where he's going to be pressing into the Lord and moving and, and, and just, it's a big step. And he says, I'm really anxious. I'm really messed up inside. I just need to talk. <laughs> I'm like, all right, well, I don't have much words, but let me read something to you, will you? You won't believe where I'm at. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And I read in some out of Psalms, just encouraging stuff in Philippians. The Lord was comforting me in that time. That's why we're in James. <laughs> like, where are we going, Lord? And he's like, yeah, this is what you're going to share. Yes, of course it is. <laughs> of course you meet me there. So what does it mean to trust God during these difficult times? What's that look like? How can I do that? What does that mean? Two things I'd say. First, how you can trust God is you need to obey God. That's trusting in God. Obeying him, looking at his commands, looking at what he says in life, looking at who he says he is. I'm going to be obedient to that. So when my coworker is a jerk to me and I really want to slap him down or say something mean, I love him. I love him. Or when I can't get a job and everybody on the planet's applying for the same job and no more do they look at you face to face, they just read your resume, maybe I should write a little bit something else, and fabricate a little bit of stuff on there so I look a little bit better. No, trust God. 
Trust God. He knows what you're going through. Obey him. Do what he says. That's trusting him. Okay, what about when it's not coming to an obedience thing? What about when it's just something that just happened? I'm really sick, constantly in pain. My mind, I can't even believe in God sometimes. Sometimes I feel so alone and so afraid. What about those times? Second thing I say is you got to believe. Just believe. Go, I don't know how this is going to work, God. I don't know how. And when I just, when I read these scriptures and I just go, okay, I'm going to believe. I don't know how this works. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to stand right here. I'm not going to move. I'm not going to go try to doctor this with something else. I'm going to stay here in this difficult and this hard situation. I'm going to believe what you say. See, the scripture tells us over and over and over in the New Testament and the Old Testament that he's enough, that Jesus is enough, that he's our satisfaction, our joy, our hope, our comfort, our refuge, our shelter, our shield. Okay, so now I've obeyed God, and now I've trusted God. Now what's going to happen? What should I expect? I've looked in the Word. I'm trying to do what He says to do here. And I'm going, okay, God, I'm not going to move. I'm going to believe what you say. Now what? Now what happens? What can I expect now? This is a verse that I turned to that I read to Lee and myself. It's in Philippians 4, a very familiar verse to you guys. <clears throat> verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with the thanksgiving, with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God. So no matter what you're going through, no matter what life has thrown at you, no matter what you've done to yourself, any circumstance, anything, God says don't be anxious in anything, in every situation. You know who wrote this? Paul. No one's faced trials like he's faced besides Jesus. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and read about what he faced. And what he's saying is, don't be anxious. You don't need to be. Why? Verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's peace of God. Now it says it surpasses all understanding, so I'd be kind of foolish to try to get you to understand that, right? And me. I don't get exactly how that works. But God's given me peace. 
in difficult times. God shows up every time when I trust. And yeah, the situation may not change, but he pulls me through it. And this peace of God brings me to an experience with God. That knowledge alone can't do. Knowledge alone can't make me complete. Can't make me full and satisfied into what God has for me. Or in James, the perfect man, lacking nothing. Just having knowledge of the scripture won't do that. James says it's going to come through trials. It's going to come through the testing of your faith because you need to experience God. It's through your experiences and through these difficult moments in your life that develop your faith and your belief in God. You begin to know that he's real. And then watch out. When you understand that God is real, when you know it and you can't explain it to people, Man, this peace that I get in the midst of these dark situations, and I've got a peace, and you try to tell, you can't even tell them, I don't know, but I know he's here. I've never felt God's arms wrapped around me, but I know comfort. I've never had my feet lifted off the ground, but I know that he carries me. And I've never heard God say a word to me, but I know he speaks to me. You can't explain it. I can't anyway. Maybe you guys have got a better explanation, but Paul here, in the midst of everything he's gone through, he just says it's a peace that goes beyond anything we can even fathom. I don't get it, but I love it. I love it, and it sustains me, and it keeps me. It's what shows me how real he is. When I can face these things with peace, you guys, the rest of the world can't do that. When difficulty comes to the rest of the world, they don't have any hope. It brings despair. It brings loneliness, pain. Your mind is just blown, anxiety everywhere. And we resort to all kinds of things to fulfill it. And they're all empty. They're all momentary at best. That develops my belief because he sits here in the Bible. He tells me that that's going to happen. When I'm praying to him, when I'm reading, he tells me he's going to do that, that he loves me and he's going to sustain me and he's going to keep me. And then when I see that he does that, I'm like, whoa, what else does this thing say? This is awesome. I can believe And when you read the Bible and you see what the Bible says about him and you're approaching it with a genuine belief and that he can do what he says he's going to do, you know what this Bible says? It's got some unbelievable claims in here about who God is, about who Jesus is and the power. Holy cow, nothing is written like this book. Nobody can claim what this book can claim. And when you go, that is true, this Bible is real, 
He is who he says he is. That changes everything. Verse 4 says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that loyalty to God have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So that steadfastness, that loyalty to God, because he's faithful to me. And when I keep doing that, and when he keeps doing that, when he keeps meeting me there over and over and over again, that full effect of it is that I'm made perfect. Not in a perfect sense like Jesus, but I'm complete. I'm lacking in nothing. No matter what the circumstance, he's enough. I'm satisfied. I'm happy because I've got the king. What could I want more of? What could I hope more in? I've got Jesus. I've got life. I've got hope for every circumstance. And I've got hope for the future. He's here with me now. What else could I want? There's three things that are very important that we need to recognize and understand in this. That he meets me here in my trials. The first thing is. We need to understand that he knows us. He sees us. He knows everything that everyone is going through. So you're not alone. You're not by yourself. See, remember the story about my dad? And my Uncle John came. My dad would have done it, but he didn't hear my cry. He wasn't there when I needed him. It's not his fault. He's just not God. Psalms 33:18 says this, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and on those who hope in his steadfast love. That's pretty cool, huh? Good news. He sees everything. But what makes that even better news, number two, is that he loves us. Because if he saw everything but he didn't love me, I'd just be afraid of him. But he loves me. He died for me. He's pretty crazy about me. Pretty crazy about you. Psalms 46.1 says this. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. He loves us. So not only can he see us and not only does he love us. Those are great things. What completes the package that he's got the power to do something about it. In any and every situation, he can change the circumstances in my life that are very difficult, or he can change me and bring me through it. Either way, it's good. Either way, it's God, and only God can do that. Only God can make those claims. This isn't a small God that we're trusting in. This isn't a small God who would act. Reading the rest of that Psalm 46. 
God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That's the God that we're trusting in. That's why this leads to happiness. Are you kidding me? Who else can say that? Who else can do that? What else do we want? That's why we're happy. That's why we're made complete. It's because the God of the universe, the God that breathed everything out, loves me, cares about me, watches over me. And he didn't just save me from death on the cross. And he isn't just there for the resurrection of my body. He's here for me today. He tells me that. And he shows up every single time. That's why going through a trial, testing my faith, my faith turning to loyalty to turn to him, leads me to a complete and satisfied and perfect, in this translation, man. You guys, this peace of God, peace with God, rather, this joy, this excitement that we have, this happiness that we can proclaim, it wouldn't be ours if it weren't for Jesus Christ. Because if he didn't die on the cross, oh, this God would still be big. He would still be powerful, but he would be against you and me. And that would be scary. You see, Jesus Christ, he faced the ultimate trial. He faced the trial, you guys, that if you that believe and trust in him will never have to face. He bore the wrath of God on the cross. He descended to hell for you and me. That's the ultimate trial. And that wasn't his to bear. That was mine and that was yours. But because he loves us, because he loves us, he did that. So don't ever question in the midst of this trial, God, do you even love me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You can't question that. You can question a lot of things, but you can't question that. He loves you. 
He went to hell and back for you and for me. Hebrews 12, 3 through 4 says this. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Jesus Christ can relate to you in your struggle. He's gone deeper than you've ever gone. He's bared more hurt than you'd ever have to bear. He's faced death of loved ones. He's been rejected by those in his inner circle, the one that he loved, Judas. He understands that. He understands what, it, what it's like to be in want. He's been thirsty, had no place to lay his head. And he understands physical torture and mental anguish. Oh, he gets it. And he did that for you and me. Praise be to God. And in closing, turning back to the psalm we started with, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Listen here. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked shall not stand in judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. He says we're like that tree. Happy is the man who delights in Jesus. We're like that tree planted by water, by living water. That living water is Jesus Christ. And if you've ever looked at the trees that are by a river, they're always huge and, 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 and just flourishing. And you look at the trees that maybe are out here in the desert and they're always smaller in comparison, right? It's like, what's going on? Well, we know it's not too hard to figure out. They're right there by the water. You see, that tree has got good sense to dig down deep with its roots into that living water. Even though the monsoon seasons come and water is abundant and it's standing, that tree knows, I'm, I'm, still, I'm going this way. I'm still digging down because there's coming a dry time. And I'm not going to turn up my roots and now go up towards the, the floor covering of the, of the earth because that's what these trees have. That's all they've got. And they're left wanting. No, I'm planted by the water. And in good 
times and in bad. Paul says in abundance and in need, in all circumstances. So not just the difficult times. He goes, I'm always digging down here by the water of life. It's the only one that makes sense, this Jesus May you and I have the good sense to to be like that tree, to understand that we are that tree and not turn our roots up and, and want for something more or something else when we have that stream of life that we're right beside. Worship team, you want to come on up? Jesus Christ is our happiness. And yes, you can be happy. It's being satisfied in Christ in any and all circumstances that makes us happy, that brings fulfillment and completion, the perfect man, the perfect woman, wanting nothing. We're going to have communion, you guys. And... Um, It's a time of celebration to remember back to what Jesus Christ did for us. That perfect life that he lived, that death on the cross, and rising again from the dead so that we could have hope, so that we could have peace with God. That's what Jesus did for us. And this is our time to worship and to celebrate that. So everybody that believes in God, come. Everybody that wants that peace with God, Well, maybe I don't have that peace with God. How do I get that peace with God? The Bible says to repent and believe. Well, what do I need to repent of? You need to repent that you've tried to find your happiness in something other than Jesus Christ. And believe that he is that happiness. You believe what he says. And maybe you don't know it yet, you don't understand it yet, but take that profession of faith and say, I will believe. God, help my belief. Help me in that. Repent and believe. Everyone who believes comes to the Father. You've been listening to the teaching ministry at Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon, 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.